0: All right. Good morning. Good morning. 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 Wake up. I don't know. Uh, Normally we have someone come up and read the scripture. Um, I'm going to do that this morning. If you could open to Matthew 6. We are in the second third of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're just going to read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 19. Matthew 6. It's on page 761, if you've got one of these Bibles. Thank you. Someone is going to read it for us. Wow! How embarrassing! Everyone's like, man, at least I didn't do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Golly. Deacons, am I right? Anyway, uh, here's the word of the Lord. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would guide us as we make sense of your word, as you have taught us to... uh, you've taught us we have a heart problem and that we need to seek you above all things and that that you're making things right through Jesus. I pray that your word would bear its weight on us and that we would walk out of here being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would repent and believe in your gospel. May the power of your spirit interpret and guide what we're reading here when we think about uh, giving, prayer, fasting, uh, hypocrites, uh, authentic faith, all these things, God. We want to be your disciples. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. May your spirit guide us as we make sense of your word and as we live as followers of you. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. So, I've got to get the board. There's a word I've got to write on it in case you forgot. Oh, hey. You people needing to be right. Got to be first. That's good. So uh, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the kingdom, and if you're new to this, then I'm going to say this every week because it's so important. You cannot think about Jesus without thinking about the kingdom. Well, you can, um, but it's wrong. Uh, and here's why. Because so much of us have been baptized into this mental place that everything is about your personal salvation, your personal walk, and your personal life, and God's personal will for you. And that's fine. That's all well and good. But in a, a 21st century Western culture where we have individualism and relativism, then ultimately what that means is that Brian's faith is good for Brian, and Brian pers- Sues what Brian personally wants for Jesus and Brian, and that's it. And the Bible is not about Brian. The Bible is about King Jesus. The Bible is about God redeeming all things and making them right for his glory and our joy. So when Jesus comes, he says, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The first thing Jesus said was repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we've been wrestling through these teachings of Jesus. There's these famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would have walked around teaching these things over and over and over again, right? And so the disciples would have heard these things tons of times. People and multitudes would have gathered, and Jesus would have taught these things, and it was the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And so as Christians those who are little Christ, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we need to be thinking, hold on, what is the gospel of the kingdom? To know Jesus is to know the kingdom. To be a Christian is to be a part of the kingdom. And so I I pray, my hope in shepherding this as we meet and we pray together as other shepherds meet and talk about these sermons as we pray for our congregation, my prayer is that you would pull yourself out of the individualism that is so natural to you and see a king and a kingdom and see that when Jesus talks about you pursuing Him, He's talking about us. The Bible is a document for us and our joy, not just for you. And when you make it about you, you miss it, because then your rebellion, your scarcity mentality, your evil, your selfish desires creep in, and then you adulterate and twist things for your own glory. And that's exactly what Jesus is drilling down on. He's already told us about how we misinterpret divorce and how we misinterpret sexual desires and lust. He's told us how we misinterpret anger and hatred, and he's come in and said, oh, you have a heart problem, right? That's what we looked in 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 uh, chapter 5 he was over and over again saying hey you need to be poor in spirit and he gave us these reverse understandings of a kingdom and of the sort of people that get in and he's inviting all these scum into it that don't even make sense because they surrendered him they acknowledge the poor in spirit and then he drills down says hey you've heard it said this but I've come to fulfill the law and the heart of the law was that your heart be transformed to seek the Lord not to twist the law for yourself and make it what you want conveniently serving yourself for your own glory Jesus cares so much about our heart postures, and so now we get these really practical things as we start looking through chapter 6. Uh, in our culture, as we start talking about this, it's all going to make sense, but uh, I heard someone else talk about this recently, and I hadn't connected this um, uh, there's some things in notes that need to be skipped here but we'll, we'll just talk about this anyway uh, name, name some sort of talent show a show that you watch or people you know watch that has a panel and they decide a winner based off their talent what, what, you guys watch these things what are they? Ah, America's Got Talent we're going to write AGT and then also BGT Britain's Got Talent and KGT Korea's Got Talent there's all sorts of these things right? so there's those what else is there? oh my goodness did someone say the accounting show is that a thing oh gong show I got real pumped the accounting show did you say gong I don't get to write the word gong often gong show I don't know that one what else the voice the voice what else come on ah idol that's right everyone knows idol Man, if you have listened to sermons in the last 10 years, everyone has a sermon analogy on American Idol. It's amazing to me, but I never watched the show. Anyway, who else? Anyone? (laughs) the stars. You're afraid because you want people to judge you for what you watch, huh? We know. We know what you're watching. The dancing one, right? So, I mean, this covers a wide range. Even I would say, like, what about ones like uh, The Bachelor? That's essentially like Bachelor, Sash, Et, bachelorette, right? These are essentially like, like uh, uh, pre-marriage, marriage sort of, you know, she's going to prove you, he's going to prove you, you're going to get married, whatever. We are fascinated with these things. And, you know, as a side note, one of the things Rome, early Western world kind of pushing did, Rome created the Colosseum and created theaters and all these things. If you were to look into Roman history, you see all over the Roman world, they had entertainment everywhere. And from a religious standpoint, we can look and be like, oh, a bunch of heathens with their orgies in there, whatever, but hold on, see one of the things Rome did that was brilliant was they realized if you control the poor and middle class then you control everything they recognize such a brilliant sociological thing they did if you can entertain the people then they have no reason to be upset therefore they will never revolt and they'll just constantly revere Rome who is in power because he's constantly entertaining them so when you create the Colosseum and you have all the implication here is if you're poor and if you're a slave whatever you might have to fight and then you'll die because Rome is ultimately powerful everything but also the idea is that we have free entertainment go to the theater go to the Colosseum we have entertainment everywhere we control the mass Passes through entertainment, which, man, we could camp on that point forever, because we are also into our choice, and we get, you know, I don't want to get into philosophical determination, and all this, you don't have any choice, it's all determined, that's not what I mean, but um, Calvin, calm down. No, 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 what we're saying is that sometimes we think we have all this power and all this control, but actually, what if it's a thousand small decisions that is made for you because of the entertainment things that you consulate in your phone. What if there are people who are paid to manipulate you through advertising through your cell phone that you've never even considered because you don't want to admit the psychology that your phone actually might be controlling you, right? It's fascinating. But that's a point for another time. May that settle on you uncomfortably and you realize that you only have the illusion of control really the government society controls you through entertainment. Ooh, okay. So, but anyway, <laughs> weird. So, we have these, just, we are- fascinated by this this idea that someone portrays something to us and then a panel of people decides mm, yes that is worthy that's quite good or that things. get out of here right we love this and I think one of the reasons we love it is because in general this is our whole world all over the place all of us are on America's Got Talent. All of us are Dancing with the Stars. All of us are The Bachelorette. All of us are doing these things so that people give us some sort of accolade value. In fact, there was a psychologist who wrote that in general, we believe our self-worth is this. There's a, an equation. Self-worth equals performance, what you do, plus other people's opinion, what other people say about what you do. And if you're honest with yourself, your resume... Your, when someone says, hey, what do, you do? What, do you, what do you do? What do you do around here? What are your hobbies? The way that you project yourself is ultimately another version of one, of one of these shows. Another version of, let me submit to the panel in front of me what I am valuable, what I am good at. Here's this, who I am in my job. Here's who I am in my family. Here's who I am at work. Here's who I am on social media. And we project this image so that other people can give some sort of thought, high-five, opinion of us, and that equals our self-worth. Even if you're the person here who says, I don't care what nobody thinks. I control me. I don't, it don't matter what other people think. I am just such a rampant Westerner that I don't need no one. I am the most delicate flower in the bunch, and I don't need anyone's opinion. That is a projected image. You're pretending. You're pretending like you don't need anyone, but there is someone's opinion that you value more higher than others. There's some parent. There's some mommy-daddy issue. There's some uncle. There's some job. There's something that brings us back to this equation, and I don't want to camp on this and say this is who you are, but I think it's worth acknowledging because someone in here needs to hear that. They need to hear that your life is so determined by what you think you perform, what I do, plus what other people say about what I do. That is my self-worth. And the Bible says that your self-worth is solely based on Jesus Christ. That's it. And so if you're trying to find something in life, some value, based off of this panel of people who look at you, who say, mm, yeah, we give you the gold stars, we give you a thumbs up, we let you go to Hollywood to sing, or whatever it is. If that's your pattern in life, you feel empty. You're sick of it, you're drained. Or maybe you've found your niche, and you're going to, camp it out for another 40 or 50 years and then you die and you never really knew what it meant to live because you don't know what it means to truly live. You're just trying to perform for other people's opinion. We want to control our narrative. We have this scarcity mentality. We've talked about this a lot, this scarcity mentality. So we entered into sin. We decided to bring sin and death and rebellion into the world because we didn't want to follow God's way. We wanted to do our own way. And you know this because you do this all the time. You want to be your own person, do your own thing, and you pursue what you want to pursue, and it leads to rebellion. You ultimately think about yourself, I ultimately think about me and what I want, and I step on people like my wife and kids and and employees, and I can try to climb this ladder to be who I want to be, and it creates all this problem. and I'm so scared of being found out that I'm actually not enough, that the things I do aren't actually measuring up, that what people say about me isn't ever enough have a scarcity mentality, so we do what we can to control the narrative, to guard, to protect it, and then we paint ourselves up on social media or in front of our coworkers, or in front of our family, in front of our friends, until we feel satisfied with our performance and other people's opinion of us. Jesus says we have a heart problem, that our rebellion against the Lord uh, has led us to be apart from him, and the only hope is the gospel. The only hope is through him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says we need to repent. We need to change our minds. And so this morning, as we walk into these verses, and we've had, these are really straightforward, practical verses. Hey, don't be like this. Be like this. Don't be a hypocrite. Who here wants to be a hypocrite? Yeah, no one. This is a big term that's thrown around all the time. It's like, don't be a hypocrite. And then Christians say this thing, we're all hypocrites. Yeah, stop, Christian. Quit telling people we're all hypocrites. Duh, we're all fallen and broken. Jesus tells us not to be a hypocrite. So it's stupid to self-identify as, oh, we're all hypocrites. Stop it. King Jesus is who we look to. Not whether or not David's being a hypocrite. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say the wrong thing up here. I'm not going to call you when you're sick on the right moment. I'm not going to reach out to you when I should. I'm not going to do the pastoral thing that you think I should. I'm going to let you down. But King Jesus will never leave you. He will never let you down. And so when we start talking about these things that Jesus tells us to be, you can't start soaking it in and say, oh, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this. But you also can't say, look at all these things I already do. Because that doesn't point back to Jesus. The heart of everything is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't possibly love your neighbor. You can't be this all-inclusive, I love everyone, man. You can't love anybody if you don't first love the Lord. And you can't possibly love loving the Lord if you're not loving other people. They go hand in hand. Jesus didn't give us two commandments. He combined them in one and said, these things go together. The second is like it, meaning it's just as important as the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as we walk into chapter 6, Jesus talks about phony religion and authentic discipleship. And we're going to start walking through these things. He's going to talk about these three spiritual disciplines. What are they? We, I just read these. What are the three things Jesus hits on? You remember? Giving, giving right? talked about giving. What else? Prayer. Fasting. Isn't there like 10 of those movies? Just kidding. Fast and Furious, anyone? What a terrible joke. Does anyone even like those movies? Uh, Just kidding. Uh, Chad does. Anyway, so uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. Already, you've already, some of you have seen the handouts. You've already, you've read these words. You're ready for me to just whip you with my tongue so that you get the guilt gun. Guilt, 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 guilt. You better give. Uh, you better fast. You better be praying. Uh, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm so Woe is me. I'm so awful open-handedly. I gotta trust Jesus. Uh, and then we walk out of here and we do nothing. That's not the point. Jesus assumes you're doing these things. Why? Why? We're gonna talk about it. We're going to slowly be walking through these three things, and the whole point today is to get us to be practicing things that we're probably not practicing, because we're afraid of piety, we're afraid of being hyper-religious, we're afraid of doing things incorrectly, and ultimately we have a scarcity mentality, and we care about our image, and we care about people who think about us. And so we focus on ourselves, and that leads us away from giving, away from prayer, away from fasting, because those things in themselves have nothing to do with us. They're us submitting. They're us surrendering. We don't like doing that. So we're going to talk about them. Matthew 6, right from the beginning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Practicing righteousness. It's an interesting phrase. We can talk all day about practicing righteousness and how the Hebrews would have heard that, and how the Gentiles would have heard it and all that. Ultimately, Practicing righteousness is a result of the right relationship with the Lord. When you have a right relationship with the Lord, then there are postures and things that come out of you. It's such a, it's such a simple concept that we don't need to camp too much on it because you get this. You do things differently once you have a child. You, As a parent, your life functions differently, and if you don't, then there's a whole lot of social tension with you because you're being a bad parent, but in general, different postures come in your life once you're a parent. Different postures come out of your life when you're married. There's a whole reason when we have wedding vows and we say these things, we acknowledge, man, my whole life is different now. Tell dad, do his part. Turns out, I got to do different things in life. You have different postures in life when you get a different job because you have a different SOP menu. You don't want to get fired, and you have different things. We understand that they are results of our life based off commitments we've made, and Jesus is saying, you will be practicing righteousness. As you're practicing righteousness, if you have a right relationship with the Lord, something's coming out of you. Something is marked different about who you are. And Jesus talks about three of them right now. He specifically talks about your Father who's in heaven. Uh, but I want, I want to first, we're going to start, as we talk about spiritual disciplines, I think it's so important. There's a quote from Dallas Willard that I love. Dallas Willard says that spiritual disciplines are wisdom and not righteousness. I'm going to let that settle for a minute. Wisdom and not righteousness. There's a whole book, two books, that Dallas Willard was a part of writing on this and several other people have written on it. I would encourage you to read The Celebration of Discipline by Dallas Willard, and the, or uh, by Richard Foster, and The Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard. There's two books you want to talk about spiritual disciplines. Those are the best books I can think of on them that I've read. Here's the thing. When we think about spiritual disciplines, we start thinking about climbing the ladder to be enough. What I do plus what God says about what I do equals, so see, we twisted it now. I need to do stuff so God looks at me and says, hmm, quite good, quite good, my dear child. Yes, ah, hmm, bup, bup, bup. here's a treat, right? That's how we approach our relationship with God. That's not how righteousness works. God doesn't look at you and say, look at those things you've done. You're 40% righteous today. Keep trying. You'll get your righteous goal for the day. Like we do our steps, right? That's not how God approaches this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get that out of your head. There's nothing that you can do. Nothing you can do to earn this. The Bible's very explicit about this. Paul hits hard on this. Whether it's a Jew, a Gentile uh, tension, There's nothing we do to earn it. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we want to talk about postures that come out of us. As we are living in the image of our Creator, these are things that come out of us naturally. And these are wisdom. These are wisdom. These are the right ways to live, not steps I take to be righteous. Spiritual disciplines are wisdom and not righteousness. There's a word that Jesus is going to use over and over to describe bad people. What's the word? Who are the bad guys in this story? Hypocrites. Hippocrit. Hippocrite. hypocrite, Close enough. Is there a Y in hypocrite? No. It'd be neat if there was. Hypocrite! Boom, we'll circle it. We'll put a we'll put a sad face by it. We're gonna put a Y there just in case. Hypocrites! <laughs> ah! Okay! So again, fascinating word. Uh, in their time, it was a play actor. This wasn't a word, a derogatory term in a sense. It wasn't like people were like, hmm, hypocrites. Arr. It wasn't like that, it's not how people thought about it. It was like, oh, these are people who are play acting. It was known, this person is putting on a posture that is not real life. Think about uh, Tom Hanks or uh, any other actor. Gosh, t- who's, what's another actor? My, yeah, John Wayne. My mind went to Tim Hawkins next, which is not an actor. Anyway, Tim Keller, also not an actor. Anyway, uh, think of an actor. This is the idea, okay? Don't be like these people who are play acting. These people that you see in the theaters who are doing things, they're doing it just for presenting. Verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, as the play actors, as the actors, as those who are faking it, as they do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think it's interesting that G- Jesus starts with giving. He doesn't start with prayer or fasting. He doesn't start with any other spiritual solitude. He starts with giving. The Lord is generous. And maybe you haven't experienced the Lord in that way, but the vast majority of us in this room are breathing and alive this moment, and this moment, and this moment. And our sin and our rebellion should have led to death. So the very fact that you're alive right now and you're hearing the gospel, that is from a generous God who loves you. The very fact that you can look up here right now, you can watch at home and hear someone tell you the Lord loves you, and the Lord wants a right relationship with you, that is the generosity of God. The very fact that a tornado hasn't blasted through here and killed us all this second is something from a generous God. The fact that there's not a nuclear weapon that's exploded and blown us up. Anything you can imagine that's good. The Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. The Hebrews understood this Eastern culture we understand. Anything good comes from an objectively good source. It's his philosophy. But anything good. If you think, what is it to be good? Something has to be objectively good, right? So uh, sunlight is objectively good. Maybe it burns people and sometimes it kills people when they're like tortured and laid out in the sun for cowboys or whatever. Yeah, maybe. But in general, sunlight is good because it has crops growing. Good things come from it. That is from an objectively good source. It's nice when people tell you they love you and give you a hug. Sure, they can twist and manipulate that and use that ultimately to step on you later. But in general, it's nice when they say, I love you and give you a hug. That comes from an objectively good source. God is the source of all good things. And so the very fact that you're experiencing any goodness in life at all, the whole point people say, hey, count your blessings, name them one by one. The whole reason we do that is to remember that there is a generous God who is good to us. He's so good to us. The Lord is generous. The very first thing we see in the Bible is that God is good and he creates good things. That's so important for you to remember because you were created in the image of a good God those of you in here are like, I'm I'm nothing, there's nothing good in me. You were created in the image of a good God. The whole reason you desire goodness, the whole reason that you think you're bad, is because you have some idea of what goodness is. You were created in the image of a good God, and He created good things. The reason you're unsatisfied with your life is because you're a negative Nancy or sourpuss, and you don't create any good things in your life. You were created to create good things. Quit walking around dumping on everything and tearing it down. God created you to create good things. And we only know what those good things are because he's the objective source of good things. And get this, what does God do when he creates all the good things? He creates it all, and then what does he do? He gives it away. He creates good things, and he gives it to us that we share in them with him. God is generous. Jesus starts with a posture of giving because the first understanding of a right relationship with God is generosity. Because our rebellion, our sin, creates what? Hiding. Fear. I've got to go sew a suit of fig leaves. No one can know that I'm actually naked and I'm actually messing up in life, so I've got to hide it. And so we do all these things to dress up and hide and perform and be hypocrites. God says, no, no, no. What if you were naked and unashamed? What if you recognized that, that you could give of your life without having to hold, say, my life, my money, my time, my possessions, my stuff, my pension, my family, my cars, my church. Stop. God created us to create good things and to give them away. That's his posture. And even when we screwed it all up, then God comes down and he takes all of our mess and dies for us. He gives us his life so that we can have eternal life for Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him won't die, but they'll have everlasting life. It's a gift. So Jesus assumes that we will be givers in His image. This is why it's so... You can finish this phrase. It's better to what than to what? It's better to give give than to Why why do we all know that? Because of Christmas and Hallmark movies? Come on! That idea's been around much longer than any of the boring, bad-acting Hallmark movies that you watch during Christmas that you love. I know you love them. They're terrible. (laughs) It's better to give than receive, not because of Santa Claus, not because of Christmas and tinsel. We all know that there's something satisfying to give to those in need. Why? Because we are creating the image of the One who gives it all for His glory, for our joy. So, Jesus assumes that you'll be giving when you give to the needy. I'm not saying if, accidentally, it's when. Jesus assumes you're giving because that's his posture. Are you living in this way? Such a hard thing to talk about in in a room full of this because there's this assumption that the church is going to ask for your money and we're going to try to find a way to get it and we've got to fund this thing and this thing and this thing. We've got to keep the lights on and we've got to do this. Stop. Let's just talk about the words of Jesus. We can talk about the church here in a minute. The words of Jesus says, When you give. What does your bank account and your weekly time log communicate about how you give to the needy? Do it this week. I did my budget yesterday. You pull up your bank's website. Maybe you're old school and you've got that thing you write down. You're like, what do you call that? Checkbook, ledger. But I pull up my bank account's website because I'm a millennial. But I can look through and see where all my money's gone for the last several years. If I take time to analyze that, there's a, a little thought that comes and says, man, how is my money that I work so hard for going to this posture of giving to the needy? What about my time? What about my energy? Would those who know me describe me as giving to the needy, as generous? 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 19. We've, we preached about this last year. I want to mention it now. Paul writes, uh, he says, As for the rich in this present, present age, in their culture to be rich is a much lower standard than our culture. So if you hear this, you think, I ain't rich. I'm middle class. I'm Paul. No, no, no. I promise Paul's talking to you. Right, you make over twenty thousand dollars a year. You're wealthy by the world standards. So uh, this isn't about how much in your bank account. Just don't don't push yourself. Out, oh, I'm not rich. Stop. Paul say, talking to all of us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Man, what if there is a good God who created all good things for us to enjoy? Not for us to be boring people who are checking off lists of how we straighten our back and do all the right things. But what if we enjoyed the world God's given us to his glory because he shares it with us, he's given it to us. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is Truly, life. What is true life? Lloyd well, Paul's interpret is to be generous, to not hold fast to your riches, but to be rich in good works, to give to the needy, to take care of other people. What if? God has given you the things that you have to share with others so that all of us have, so that we can all seek Jesus together without the hindrances of not having food, water, enough money to pay rent. What an interesting thought. Because in the West and in the Midwest, in the church life, we'd be so quick to be like, ah, wait, what about those poor people who take advantage of us? What about those homeless people who are just after a dime? What about the drug dealers who are just trying to get the drug money, and I can't give them cash because they'll go buy drugs? (laughs) Stop. How are we inviting those people in and actually sharing with them what we have? Because we have an abundance, church. Look at me. We have an abundance. Jesus assumes that we're giving. Are we giving? Is that a posture that we have? So that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. So quick, we have the idea that the church wants my money. And, and here you go. You're going to get tense. Like, oh, David's about to talk about tithing and offering. Let her get out my checkbook. Make the pastor shut up. Write a check for $10. Stop. Hold on. Jesus is talking to who? The kingdom. And those are a people in the kingdom. Who are the people in the kingdom? The body. The body. Who's the body? Another name for it in the Bible is? Church. The church. The kingdom is the church. You can't miss this, you cannot say, those watching at home, those sitting here, if you're not a committed member of a biblical, gospel-fearing, God-seeking church, those who are committed to Jesus, you're missing the whole point of the kingdom. You need to be a part of the church. We need others to hold us accountable. You don't know what you don't know. How are you going to know if you're giving to the needy? Thank God for the church that we all humbly come and say, we're poor in spirit, we're screwing all this thing up, but because King Jesus loves us, because he died for us, because he said he's with us always, then we're going to be his disciples. And I might not figure out what Howard's figured out, but he's going to help me come along, and we're going to constantly come back to Scripture and wrestle with these things. And I know money makes you tense. And I know that you're so afraid of someone trying to say, give me your money, and I don't want to give to this organization. What if they screwed up? I don't want to give to the church because they're all selfish. If you think that giving to our our church is a problem because you don't trust something with us then may God lead you to come talk to us about it so that we can do the right thing or maybe we can guide you to quit having a selfish heart we are taught to give and maybe that was a little too fast and passionate for you but let me make it very simple for you if you're going to give to the needy it's going to include you giving to a church that's it if you're not giving to a church, then I would go as far to say you're missing something. Not because we have to keep the lights on. Not because I need more money in my salary. Forget about it. We can, we can talk books. We're very open with the books in our church. We can talk about dollars and cents all day. And we have people here that right now at the top of their head could throw out numbers at you till they're blue in the face. It makes me sick how much they know about numbers. Thank God for those people because they protect us from doing things that are selfish. When you give to the needy, if you want to help people around you, if you want to give to the needy, figure out how to give to your local church. Because God has told us that we are part of his kingdom and that we're to be taking care of the needy. We're to love others. And so as a church, that's our goal. And we do that through all of us living generously. Give to the church. So much of us just give when it's conveniently generous, when it's convenient for us. And this isn't a message about how you should give till it hurts. That's not the point. I'm just encouraging you to be open-handed with the things you think you own. Your time, your money, your possessions. How are you giving as a posture to the needy? Because we don't just need money in the kingdom. We need obedience. We need people to walk with youth kids who don't have parents to teach them things. We need people to serve in children's ministry so that adults can meet and talk apart from kids screaming all the time, but also so kids who love to scream can hear from other adults. Man, I love when my kids get to hear from other adults and get to learn to be disciplined by them and to respect them and to learn who God is from other adults besides me. How are you giving to the needy through serving the church through giving? I could camp on this all day because I know we struggle. Man, I looked today just for fun about, I knew the case because we talked about this in college a ton, but statistics on giving, it's, it'll blow your mind. Forever, for so long in the history of the church, giving has looked something like this. about. Thir- 25 to 30 percent of the people in your average church give about 90 to 100 percent of what's needed to keep the church functioning. So on average, 75 to 80 percent of people don't give. Sorry, 70 to uh, 80 percent don't give at all. Again, this isn't a manipulative tactic to get you to give. It's something that you think about. Why? Why aren't people giving to the church? Do you not trust? You know, Jesus says when you give. If you want a practical way to follow what Jesus says, give to the church. Figure out what that looks like. And then Jesus explains how we give. We're not doing this for our own self-image. We're not doing this for our own glory. We're doing this for our Father who sees it in secret. He even says, don't go as far as saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You don't give for your own self. Ah, David, good job. You gave X percent this week. You're so good. You're really doing it. Back to me, my self-image, my self-worth. Your self-worth is based off Jesus. You give as a posture of who He has called you to be in His kingdom. Why do we give? We give for Him, for His glory. Not for you. This is, what answers, this is going to answer all the questions. Why do we give? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? For His glory. We do it for Him. It's a posture of who He created us to be. If you're doing it for His glory, it makes sense. If you're doing it for yourself, it's never going to make sense. Be generous this week. Pray about how to give to the church and to others. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and in the streets so that they can be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret, uh, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Prayer is intentional communication with the Father. And we could, uh, we preached earlier this year, uh, we had four or five sermons on prayer, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, you can go back and reference those and talk about those. In general, that's what prayer is. Religious leaders of this day, they believe that if they were very open with how they prayed and everyone saw it, then they would be lifted up, oh, look at me, I'm praying at the hours I should, doing the things I should, honoring all the Hebrew ways of prayer. And then Gentiles or pagans, they pray to Greek gods and such, and they would just blabble on and on and on because they believed their gods were fickle. Their gods would be like, oh, well, I'm not happy today, squash and all these bad things would happen, right? And so they would just blab on and on and on to appease these gods. Jesus says, that's that's not how we pray. Your prayers aren't for you. Your prayers are for your Father. So when you pray, again, Jesus assumes you will pray. Talk to the Father. I think it would be helpful in your week this week. Right now, think about about the things in your life. What's the weight of the world in your world? What's heavy? What are you struggling with? Your job? Your family? Divorce, addiction, trouble with kids, trouble with school, school's starting, your job stinks. Have you talked to the Father about it? Have you prayed? Wouldn't it be nice if this week, just the people listening right now, however many are, 150, 200 people listening, whatever, wouldn't it be nice if we had a posture this week of praying, talking to the Father? Not for our own image, not for ourselves but because of a posture of a right relationship with the Lord, because of the wisdom of growing near to Him. The Lord tells us over and over to talk to Him. He wants to talk to us. <laughs> he even goes on to say that, um, that your Father knows what you need before you ask. Right? So God wants to talk to you. God knows what you need. Your Father, heaven, He knows what you need. Have you talked, Lord, about it? Pray this week. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That's a funny phrase to me. Wash your face. So you can tell your kids. The Bible says, wash your face. Wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. What is fasting? Again, we could talk for an hour about this. I could have set this aside. We could have had three different sermons. One on giving, one on prayer, one on fasting. We're deciding to do it all at once. Here we go. In general, fasting is us choosing to abstain, to get away from something so that we can spend more attention and time on the Lord. And those of you who have studied fasting and are uncomfortable with that definition, then please make a video teaching us about fasting. We'll play it or whatever. We don't have time right now to talk about all the intricacies of fasting. But we all know inside of us that there are things in our life that we need to get away from sometimes. I have too much cell phone in my life. I have too much Oreos in my life. I have too much working out in my life. I have too much... Uh, uh, idolizing my spouse in my life. I have too much sex in my life. I have too much porn, whatever it is. There's something in our life, whether or not we deem it a sinful or not, that consumes us. So the whole idea of fasting is say, I'm going to step away from this because the Father and a right relationship with Him is more important than this thing that might be drawing me away from Him. My body doesn't control me. My, my brain doesn't control me. King Jesus controls me. So what if I choose to not eat for certain times. Maybe uh, you fast from noon to noon, one, one 24-hour period, and you say, you know, I'm going to spend this time, instead of focusing on my need for food because I measure all my life by food, I'm going to focus on the Lord and how I need to seek Him. Maybe it's your cell phone. Everyone tells you you're on your phone too much. Your spouse tells you you get really fired up. What if you said, hey, what if my phone does cause a problem? How could I survive X time without my phone, without social media? Jesus again assumes when you fast. And I think that this is the most frustrating one because we can all relate to it. How how many of you have ever been, just raise your hand if you've ever experienced someone who likes to brag on their uh, thing that they've gotten rid of for the Lord? Have you ever experienced this, like like the, the little martyr that's like, I'm not on social media this year. I'm not listening to rap music anymore. Come on, you're all shaking your heads at me. You don't want to raise your hand. You don't want to offend the person next to you. Man, in college, this was the thing. It was, it, oh man, it would drive me nuts. Every time Lent came around, I want to throw something. There. I'm getting fired up. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm angry right now. But there were so many people like... For Lent this year, I'm giving up social media. No offense if you've done that. I'm not trying to offend you. But it was the big deal was that everyone needed us to know. Oh, we're sitting in the cafeteria. Everyone's eating the new cookie that came out. Um, I gave up sugar for the Lord. Great. Neat. You're on a cleanse for Jesus. You're on a diet for the Lord. It's such a fascinating thing in our culture that we give up things. We've twisted this fast now. We don't use fasting language in our culture. We use words like cleanse use words like, uh, well, actually intermittent fasting is really popular. I actually do intermittent fasting, but not for spiritual reasons, just because it's better for my overall health. But we use these languages, and, and we try, and Jesus comes in and says, hold on! Your discipline, your thing, that you're giving up for the Lord, is for the Lord. It's not for you. Think about what maybe you need to release, so that you can spend more time with the Lord. And how does that grow you near to the Lord, not near to other people looking at you and thinking about you? Because it's not about you, it's about King Jesus. We said earlier, none of this, nothing makes sense apart from King Jesus. So what do we do with all this? Jesus assumes that we're practicing these things because we've had a posture change, our hearts been changed, and these things come out of us. We are giving because the Father is giving. We are praying because we want an intimate relationship with the Father, and so we talk to Him, right? We are fasting because we want to get away from these things that are pulling us from him. We understand that that my body, my brain doesn't control me. King Jesus is Lord, so I'm going to seek him. So be it cell phone, cookies, whatever it is, I'm going to step away from that for a time. There's a a side note. Uh, One time my family unplugged our microwave for a little bit, so that even that slight inconvenience gave us a moment to pause and say, man, the Lord is so good to us. We could nuke our food whenever we want, except now because we unplugged it. But then we, we took that moment. Man, there's there several Sunday mornings during that time. I would go put a potato in the microwave, shut it. ah, Because I'd realize it was, it was unplugged. And I'd be like, I'm supposed to pray during this time, but I'm just fired up. It takes five minutes to nuke a potato, and I didn't want to pray for five minutes. I want to be mad at my inconvenience. But the whole point again was say, man, how is my mind being governed towards the Lord, not my convenience controlling my life? So what do we do? I want you to look at this. How does Jesus talk about God in here? What does he call him? This is so important. I'm going to erase it and write it down. Who does Jesus call God? Say it loud. How many times does he do it? You don't have to count. It's 10 times. He calls him Father. I know we need to land here. I know we need to get done. Jesus says, "So that your Father, who sees in secret, so that your Father reward your father, your father. If you're in the kingdom, then he is your father. Maybe giving, fasting, prayer, spiritual disciplines in general, maybe none of it makes sense to you because God's not your father. Father is an intimate language that's being used in scripture to help us understand the intimate relationship that God wants to have with us. He is our father. Despite all the crummy relationships you've had with fathers in your life, that's not the point because God is the objective standard for father, not your crummy dad. Or your awesome dad. God is better. And so Jesus says, so your father. It's intimate language. Generosity, intimate prayer, fasting doesn't make any sense outside of the father because the father loves us. Love is what motivates us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The father loves you Father wants to have a right relationship with you. Thank God that you're here today to hear about it. We are broken, we rebel. Our sin has separated us from Him. If you don't know the Father, today's your day. Today's your day to say, man, I want to give my life to you, Lord. I want to submit to you. I want to trust you with all my life. I want to learn what it means to love you and to be motivated by your love. To to generously give to others as you've called me to because of your great love for me. To, To openly pray intimately to you and to seek praying for others because prayer is an act of love. Because your love motivates me. The Bible says, Paul writes, the love of Christ compels us. May God's love be our motivation for these things because he is our father. If you look in some of the seats around you, there's some cards that were laid out. Maybe you got one, maybe you didn't. Someone hold one up if you've got one. They look like this. Maybe, did I send that image? Maybe I didn't. Hey, listen, this is, I I get it, okay? Some of you are like, don't tell me how to live my life, okay? I figured this out myself. Get out a piece of paper if you want to. During the response time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to mess with this. Uh, we, We can leave this up on the screen, you can see it. I want you to think through what God's laying on your heart today. Because right now, we could take this whole message two different ways. One way we could take it is to say, don't do any of these things selfishly. So just open your hands and ethereally pray and hope that God lays in your health the perfect ways to do these. Great. But I doubt that many people in here struggle with praying too much, giving too much, and fasting too much. I would wager to bet that you struggle with doing none of it. Either because you're afraid of doing it wrong or because you're selfish like me. And so I think maybe this would be a good time to say, man, I'm just going to take a moment while the song plays, before we move into announcement times, before the service closes, I'm just going to take a moment to look at these questions, to look at the piece of paper if you've got it, and just to say, man, what is God saying to me right now? What do I need to be praying about? What do I need to talk to the Lord about? How do I need to be having a generous posture like the Father? What am I missing with that? Maybe I need to be giving. Maybe I need to be giving $10 a month, $50 a month. Maybe I need to be giving my time. God's been telling me to serve with the children, to serve with the youth, to, to help on the worship team. And I just keep saying, nah, I'm not doing that. What, how do I need to be giving? What do I need to be fasting from? What do I need to step away from in order to seek the Lord more fully? This is your response. If nothing else, if maybe that's too much for you, we're going to have the man come forward. If, if that's too much and you can't figure it out, Jesus gives us a prayer in the middle of all this. He says in 6... Matthew 6 verse 9, this is how you should pray. It's very specific. We're going to say this prayer together here in a minute. We're going to put the words on the screen. If nothing else this week, I would encourage you to pray the words of Jesus. That is your response. If you don't know how to give, you're you're terrified because you don't, you're just confused, you're scared or whatever, you don't know how to give. You don't know how to fast. You don't, I would encourage you to stop all this and say, first of all, I need to know God is our Father, our Father who is in heaven. That's what we need to know. And so, we're going to say this prayer together. I would encourage you to be saying this prayer throughout the week. Stand with me as we pray the words of Jesus. And during the response time, take time to fill out the card. Take time to answer yourself. How should I pray? How should I fast? How should I be generous? What does that look like? But first, as one body standing before the Lord, those committed in Christ, eternally bound for His kingdom, let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father I pray that you would guide this response time. I know my my words are so inadequate for, for these things. We've read your words Jesus We want to make sense of what it means to be generous in the right ways, in the heart posture you've given us as authentic disciples. We want to make sense of what it means to pray as you've called us to authentically to have an intimate relationship with you. God, we want to make sense of what it means to fast, to to separate from things that are, are keeping us from a right relationship with you. God, I don't, I don't know the response for each of us. I know the things you laid on my heart. I pray that your spirit would move amongst all the words, amongst all the heavy things that are said, the yelling, the excitement. I pray that your spirit would move and that we would walk out of here knowing how we give, how we fast, how we pray in you for your glory. God, may we continue to see stories of redemption, see your kingdom come and your will be done. May we continue to be people who seek you knowing that you're with us always and that you have all authority. We love you, Lord. Guide us as we respond right now.